As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, welcome into the latest edition of Hear That Podcast, Growlin' Paul Inger Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic. Can say it, Jay. Welcome to Draft Week. Woohoo! Oh, Finally. It's so good to be here. It is. <laughs> we are, we are, we're here. This is it. This is the last draft preview podcast, and those are some of the sweetest words to ever come out of my mouth. This is the final, the final, this is it. We're putting this on the shelf for you to live all week, consume at your heart's content, and dive all into everything we can and will know about this week's draft before we get into our stuff that's going to come up once the draft actually begins on Thursday at 8 p.m. Yeah, next time you hear from us, Chase Versoul will have been decided. Decided. A victor. To the victor go the spoils. Uh, what, what do the winners of like, if you were, if you were team chase and you win, what do you, I get it. Like you, you get chase. I feel like there should be some sort of online victory lap should occur. Like, is there an, can we make an emoji that says I won team chase for people that were on team chase? You know, I feel like there should be some way to signify your team and put, put, put your team out there this week. You should change your, your name. On Twitter, if you're out there, and you cha- make sure you change it to with an emoji to signify which team you're on. You know, I feel like it, that's I feel like it's about green. You could do the green dot for Sewell, yellow dot for Chase, or just change your name totally to Team Chase or Team Sewell, and change your ringtone to Jamar Chase asking how you're doing. Oh, old guy, people don't do ringtones anymore. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Vibrate. Nobody has ring. Nobody rings. <laughs> nobody calls. Nobody. Yeah, that's true. Nobody calls. <laughs> nobody calls. That's for sure. Uh, we. So we've got a bunch of stuff. We're gonna get full draft preview stuff here. And here's the thing: we've told you everything that we have to say. So we asked you, what do you still feel like you want to know? So we're going to go through your questions here, and we're going to kind of use that as our way to set the table for the draft. There's a few other news items that we're going to get to. I want to talk about the the Julio Jones trade factor. I want to talk about the final mock draft I have that is up. 
uh, and we'll get into some other things there. Jay, you've got two awesome stories that are coming out this week. I one one is going to be great. Um, I'll let you I'll let you talk about the uh, the one the 15 year anniversary story, which I'm excited to read about. Yeah, the uh, this is the 15 year anniversary of the 2006 Bengals draft, and it it technically stands alone as the only draft in the last 35 years to accomplish something. Technically, it's the last 25 because the last 10, it would be impossible. What it is, is the Bengals drafted four players in that draft that ended up playing 12 years in the league, uh, which is almost unheard of. Uh, You you have to go back to 1985, back when the draft was a lot longer in terms of rounds to find another team that, that had that kind of success, finding four guys that played at least 12 years. So talk to people that were in the draft room that year and a really interesting debate uh, about maybe their most successful pick in that draft. So uh, a lot of good stuff coming on that later this week. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. You've kind of been dropping nuggets of conversations to me as you've gone through pulling these together over the last month or so. And and I can't can't wait to see them all together. I'm I'm as interested, I hope, as readers are as they they hear you tease through it because I I know some of the background of it. It's going to be phenomenal. I can't wait to uh, to read uh, that story. You've also got something on on trades, right? Yeah, doing a look at the history, um, not not overall, but the last ten years. Uh, and a little bit before that, but w- what trades have been made into and out of the three through seven slots? You take one and two out, that's just a completely different animal. And you get to the back of the top 10, eight, nine, 10, that's a little different. But just looking at at, at the history, uh, the mechanics of trading into the into those spots, three through seven, and you know which which teams have done it, and which teams end up getting the the better end of the deal, the ones that trade up to get the player they really want or the teams that trade back and collect capital. And we've already seen it twice this year, <laughs> kind yeah. of all-in-one swoop uh, with three and six both uh, changing hands, and we may see it again with Atlanta, um, which is where I want to start. Um, let's let's talk about the Atlanta pick first and then we'll, before we get into the questions. So the interesting thing that's kind of surfaced under the radar, Atlanta has been the most interesting to me. I think we know the top three picks are going to be quarterbacks in some capacity. Um, you know, we, we know Trevor Lawrence, we know Zach Wilson three. We are assuming some, one of the quarterbacks is going to come off the board, you know, whoever it is. Well, if we're talking about Mac Jones or Trey Lance, that that is the reports out there that they're down to two, right? Who knows specifically where they're at outside of the fact that they came up to take somebody and you would assume that they were coming up, they came up to take a quarterback. Um, Either way, that leaves you at four with Atlanta has been a fascinating thing and, and what affects the Bengals maybe decision to even even do chase versus Sewell themselves or have it picked for them um they are a mess okay for a couple of different reasons they one we we hear we talk about this all the time with the Bengals people talk about their salary cap space like you got to be able to pay your draft picks you got to be able to do all these other things in season the the Falcons can't pay their draft picks like they they are in such a mess they have to clear players out they need to clear salaries still um, in order to even sign their picks. So the idea being you need to look at Atlanta. Like, What would they do? Um, now, 
the top of their salary cap structure includes Julio Jones. Uh, Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, one, two, Grady Jarrett. All three of those guys have cap numbers over 20. Um, and with post-June 1 cuts, they could save quite a bit of coin, uh, particularly on cutting Grady Jarrett for two, but, but not Julio. Julio would be somebody they need to trade his salary. So the idea is maybe they trade Julio Jones. Apparently, that's part of the conversation with them right now. And you know what that does, Jay? Jay, what does that do? Uh, that puts a big wrinkle in the Bengals' plans. <laughs> that certainly puts a target on Jamar Chase at four. Yes. If that were to be the plan that Atlanta would execute, would be, okay, trade Julio, maybe get another one, and pick Chase, get younger and cheaper, and you know, essentially add a mid-round whatever they would whoever they'd be trading him to pick. Someone's got to be willing to take on Julio Jones at this point. Now, his salary is, a, is not super challenging to take on the last three years, but you're taking on his age 32, 33, and 34 seasons. He's obviously still got something left in the tank. What is that worth to you? you know, I, it, they need to do something, and that would certainly make sense, and it's the, it's the, the, it's the drumbeat that, I hear, that you're hearing the loudest right now on Monday morning, and that's very interesting. The thing is that a team that is – Going to trade up for or trade for Julio, you would think would be a, a team that's pretty close already, and so they're they're further back in the draft. I, I, the, the, the The biggest thing to me that I, I'm not sold on the the Falcons taking a quarterback just because they have a first year head coach. And, and do you want to do you want to get your system in place before you really decide? Who's our guy? But then again, you want you've got all these quarterbacks as an option this year, and you're gonna you're sticking with Matt Ryan. Do you want to draft a guy to to learn under Matt Ryan? It's just it's a really weird situation with with a new head coach and a new offense in place because you know we saw it, the, the the Bengals it didn't work out this way on purpose, but the Bengals go and get Joe Burrow after year one of Zach's be, Zach being in place. It just it makes more sense to do it that way than to, to grab a guy right off the bat, especially a guy that you're not going to play right away. Um, but I, I do think the Bengals should be worried because who knows why that, that stuff gets leaked out, but there, there's got to be some truth to it. If this many people were reporting it, um, and it makes sense, too, that people would have interest in Julio Jones because, as you said, he's not the salary, $23 million this year, um, certainly – one of the best receivers in the league still, but you're right. It's, it's what we were talking about with A.J. Green a year ago. You start getting o- over 30, and you wonder how long he can hold up with playing the way he is. Yeah, I mean, it, now Atlanta would be taking on a crap load of dead money as part of it. I mean, there's, there's a lot of other wrinkles, and it may not happen. I mean, Julio is a legendary. He's him and A.J. Green, obviously, you know, but this is what happens when guys get into their 30s and new coaches, new regimes come in. They want to get younger. I would just say keep an eye on it. Now, if, if you went back, I recommended the the Athletic NFL podcast, Robert Mays. I did I did it in, as he did a top 10 mock draft and brought in. We did about he did about 10 or 15 minutes with everybody, every, somebody from every team that has a pick in the top 10. And so I, I went back to listen to, to Tori, uh, Tori McElhinney, who, who covers the Falcons for us, to hear more from her i highly recommend going and listening to the whole thing but in particular when you get into four um and and listening to her talk about that you can hear me talk about 
the Bengals at five, but you've heard it before if you listen to this podcast. So, you know, if you want more, good for you. Uh, <laughs> it was a lot of the same stuff we've talked about, but, it, you know, that this never really, the, the idea of Jamar Chase never really came up. You know, it was all the idea of like, okay, if you don't think that you're ever going to be in the top five again, you're not planning on being the top five again. They're, they're an organization where Arthur Blank and to the top have talked about they think they can win now. Then you, you maybe need to be thinking about your quarterback of the future, even if you're going Patrick Mahone's scenario and, and working him in the background while Matt Ryan maybe plays another year. Um, that They're a very fascinating pick to see what happens. But the point is, you know, I think there's a chance you could see Chase versus Sewell uh, be an answer that the Bengals don't even have to make after all of this. That <laughs> just just kind of lands in their lap. And that's the and then there's the Pitts thing. I mean, Pitts yeah. obviously Arthur Smith, by the way, the new head coach of the Titans. Where where how do you come up? Tight ends coach. You know, I mean you're you're talking about a guy who Pitts would certainly make sense there. But I think, you know, if they go Pitts, if they go Chase, you you know, you know where where things could end. You still have one of the other guys sitting there right in front of you and that's a good thing, but the Julio thing is very interesting because I don't. People had never really been putting Chase on the Falcons because Ridley, Julio, right? Lots of weapons. Uh, well, that this could be the one wrinkle in that that could that could shake things up. Um, my final mock draft is out for those of you that have been anxiously awaiting that. <laughs> um, but the la- it's sort of my my final answer, and I went off of really. There's nothing you can do to know for sure when you get into the late rounds of who's available. So I use the the consensus top 300 big board that Arif Hassan uses um, for us, and it's kind of takes all the main big boards, compiles them together, and gets you an average. It's done really well in recent years. It's been sort of a, a really high-performing metric uh, to show where guys actually went to where they were listed to give a good feel for that. There are plenty of outliers and, and guys that are around that shouldn't have been or went earlier than it says. Nothing is perfect when you're talking about 300 picks. But it, it's a new way to give a sort of a general universe to pick from. And where that ended up was Jamar Chase being – I went with Jamar Chase at the top, um, thinking he would be available Alex Leatherwood was available right there at 38. He's kind he really has kind of become that one that everybody's hoping will drop and when that's the case they usually go way earlier. Mm-hmm. Um he does seem to be the perfect fit and he would this Chase Leatherwood it, am I fair in saying Bengals fans see that as the true dream scenario? It feels like that's kind of it right now. Uh, yeah, I think so. I I don't know if it's going to happen. And, and in our beat writer mock Leatherwood was gone. Um, he's he's not necessarily a a lock to be a first round pick, but you could see him going in the first round, and if not, you could see him going in the in the second round before the Bengals get to him. I I, I think there's a better chance that that Chase, even with the Julio situation out there, there's a better chance that that Chase is available at five. Way better chance than than Leatherwood is available at thirty eight. It just it feels like there's going to be a run on those offensive linemen. Even though people talk about how deep the class is, it's it's just one of those positions where once they start coming off, kind of like quarterbacks, people panic a little bit. And I, I could see some some teams overreaching, and and that's what happened in the beat writer mock. They they were all gone, and I traded back, and it, it 
another one went that I missed out on because I traded back. Um, and you write about it in your mock. The, the biggest question with that whole pick is, is will he be available? And I'd, I'd say it's a 50-50 prop right now. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of these studies of, okay, where do all the mock drafts have them going off on average? And, and Leatherwood, it kind of – most people project him in that late first – into the early mid second, like right around where, yeah, you're right. You can kind of flip a coin whether he makes it. There are other guys. It, it really is the question of you know, the, the draft as a whole is not great, you know. And so, with one of the one positions that we've heard the most about is this offensive line depth, and it does make you think. And then let's take this Kansas City trade into, into um, effect here, okay? Into consideration, I should say. Um, they trade for Orlando Brown from the Ravens and trade out. They swap, basically do a pick swap of a first and a second. So the Ravens now have number 27 and the Chiefs 31. They gave up their second round pick. So that's coming all the way up. And you know they're looking for a tackle now. Uh, And that's to get in front of a lot of teams in the front of the run, right? In front of the depth run. And it's a smart move. And they can also do whatever they were also going to do with the other pick, probably a receiver, you would think. But... You know, that's I think that's telling. And they also went and added a couple mid round picks that the Ravens love. And it's just a smart move by the Ravens. I love this for the Ravens because they weren't gonna sign Brown anyway, because he wanted to be a left tackle. He was gonna demand huge left tackle money. So they're able to flip him a year early, get a big move up in the draft, and add a couple of mid round picks to to draft a guy who's gonna Take over that spot for you. You hope it can come and start right away. Is there a maybe a temporary uh, issue for them as they try to get that new rookie guy up to speed and maybe add a veteran to help with that? Yeah, maybe. But I mean, the amount of capital they had doing it, uh, moving in, a, it's you know, it's all the things people complain about that the Bengals didn't do during this rebuild is really kind of the the thing that stuck out to me. And they might not be done. I mean, now that you, you mentioned it, they'll be at the front of that run of offensive tackles or offensive linemen. And if if for some reason it it, it doesn't those those they don't start trickling off the board before the Ravens pick, you could see them trading back again and, and adding more capital. They're just they're 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 one of the teams that that likes to make a lot of those kind of moves in the draft, and and they they have played out pretty well for them. Just. Uh, well run. I mean, everybody knows what Ozzie Newsom did when he was there, and they've just continued that since he's been gone. Um, that number one should be a concern. Another team picking ahead of them, looking for an offensive lineman, but number two being a division team that's going to be doing that. That's all those the, the Ravens, the Browns, the Steelers are all right there in that that range in the late first round. I don't think the Steelers are going offensive line, but it, it's just that that's. The Bengals fans are still a little stung about the the Steelers trading up and taking Devin Bush right out from under them. Imagine if if the if the Ravens take Alex Leatherwood uh, out from under them. <laughs> it, not quite the same thing, but it, it's still going to sting. Yeah, and there's you know there's other options there and, and plenty of different spots that you can go. But um, in, in the third round, I have Peyton Turner. You know, we've seen the Bengals kicking around. They sh- they showed up down at this pro day. Um, working him out, Marion Hobby was, and he was available here. And I think that's that's the type of if there's a guy that you know they have a second round grade on, like they could with Turner, certain you know, or any one of these edge rushers that they really like that slips down. That that's very real that they go that 
spot there and and not necessarily go in on the offensive line again, although they could, and that would be a consideration. The other thing in the fourth round, in the in the the big board there, the consensus big board, Deontay Brown still on the board in the fourth round. I could absolutely see them going that, and now you're just you're just tied up. Two tied linemen plus Jonah Williams, three out of five. I mean, recreating the Alabama offensive line in the NFL, not a terrible idea. The Alabama offensive line with the LSU skill position players, I think would be a pretty nice conglomeration of the 2019 season. And a bunch of Buckeyes. I mean, another team that's been in the playoff every year. I mean, wasn't every NFL team eventually just going to be a bunch of Clemson, (laughs) Alabama, Ohio State, and LSU? I mean, that's... That's what the college football is anymore. It's just the, the same five or six teams. So the whole NFL is going to eventually be that anyway. Yeah, I mean, I would like Deontay Brown. I think that would be a good pick. It'll be interesting to see whether they they how that goes because I, I think it's going to be the way you have it pegged, Chase and offensive line, and then it's going to be do they do they go offensive line again and then get the edge guy or get the edge guy and then the second offensive lineman, and that just shows you what the the depth that offensive line is if if they were able to get a guy like Deontay Brown in the fourth round. Yeah, uh, going into the so at that point uh, in that fourth round pick, I've I've in the mock draft I have other considerations so you can kind of see. Well, you know they're they're going to be looking at these positions as well, and here's some of the other possible options. But pick this guy over that guy to kind of give a feel of when they start putting their eye toward running back, putting their eye towards maybe interior line or maybe that second offensive lineman or maybe a tight end. And you know, I, I think they'll they'll have an interesting eye on a guy like Michael Carter from North Carolina in the third round. Mm-hmm. But they I don't think they would actually pull the trigger. I just I, it's just too early. But I think they would be looking at that. I mean, it's a high-end person to add in replacing Geo. Um, and then Khalil Herbert from Virginia Tech in the fourth round. Is that, you know, I mean, that would be in consideration. Then I have them taking the running back in the fifth round with Kylan Hill from Mississippi State, a guy who has a lot of receiver tendencies, you know, came with, did a lot of catching the ball and, and could be really in that 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 receiving running back role is is kind of where I think you'll find the value. Guys that, you know, the league is going to push down boards because they're not an every down back at all. But for what they need them for, specifically third down or pass catching running back, um, you can have a guy who has an, a pretty high-end skill at that, and Hill would be amongst those. Yeah, not just the skill set, but just overall the Bengals like – those non-lead back guys. They like guys that split time, so they come into the league with less wear and tear. And you've got Jamar Jefferson as another option, other consideration in that fifth round. Um, I do think that's that's the direction we're going to see them go, not only because they have a lead back in Joe Mixon, but that's just, that's just their prototype. That's what they prefer is a guy that comes in with less wear and tear. Yeah. I was intrigued by Shai Smith from South Carolina there and that potentially with that fifth round could have pulled the trigger on that, but ended up kind of passing that down the line and they, you know, they maybe hit free agency for some some backup slot type guys or something like that, which they're out there. Um, sixth round, checking off the boxes, tight end, Trey McKitty from Georgia. Also Justin Hilliard from Ohio State. Here's the connect, right? Not only is he local, St. Xavier. Uh, you know, dealt with a lot of injuries at Ohio State. He was a super top prospect, if people remember, coming out of St. X and went to Ohio State. But it never quite clicked there. Injuries were a big part of that. Um, but there's still a lot of potential there, if healthy. That's you get a lot of these guys at the end. You can bet on maybe coming out of some health stuff. 
where he could be a guy. Also, who was his roommate the last one or two of two of their last years at Ohio State? Joe Burrow. Yes, close friends with Joe Burrow, Justin Hilliard. That that nugget from uh, our good friend on the LSU beat, Brody Miller, who inf- informed me of that. Uh, so Hilliard shows up on my board now. Give Burrow friends, right? <laughs> Thad Moss, Justin Hilliard. It's just it's just Burrow and friends, right? Like let's just let's just keep keep doing it. Keep giving him his friends that he wants. But Jamar Chase, right? It's just all everybody can live together in a big house. Put it on a reality show. I I'm just creating Bengals content for Bengals.com here, right? Bengal house. It's just Burrow <laughs> and his friends. Well, and then you give him another one uh, in the seventh round. I do. I do. Another Ohio State guy. I don't know if he was roommates. Part of that. No, that I doubt they were roommates. But. <laughs> the kicker's not allowed in Bengal House. Is the kicker allowed in Bengal House? <laughs> yeah, and they uh, do like they do everyday competitions for points to be head of household, right? <laughs> like doing the dishes or, you know, who who cuts the best lawn. I mean, we're on to something. Yeah, possibly. Oh, the Bengal Buckeye House. <laughs> Yeah, we're into it. Uh, so that's that. You can go through and kind of dive a little bit more into the conversation around each of those picks and some of the other considerations and all that stuff is up in the mock draft. There. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Let's spin it forward and let's talk to you. You guys have had questions. Uh, we've said all that we can say. Our whole draft series is all up. If you want information on anything that you feel like you're trying to figure out what they're going to do, how they view things, what the trends are, it's all there. All 10 parts are all up. They're on a one page. You can see that uh, linked up on the Bengals page, or you can find that uh, on our Twitter accounts or anywhere to go check that stuff out. But you guys have questions, so let's dive into a few of those. Jay, you want to you want to pick a few off the top here, and we'll start we'll start ticking them off. Uh, yeah, this one kind of touches on what we just mentioned a little bit earlier with the running backs. But um, Ethan Rondo wanted to know if the on the Bengals' radar they have Michael Carter from from running back or uh, from North Carolina, and he mentioned that Dane had him going in the fourth round. And it, do we think the Bengals? would look at him in the fourth round. I don't think Michael Carter is going to be there in the fourth round, but I think he, he is, if you could cherry pick one guy, I know there's, there's guys ranked higher above him, but he is the one that fits perfectly. He had the, the shared workload with Javante Williams 
at North Carolina. He had more than 20 catches in each of the last three years. Um, they, they love his ability and pass protection. I mean, he is that ideal. Forget the North Carolina connection with Geo. That's just that's a nice little side note. But but he feels like the best fit of all the running backs in this class for for what the Bengals need here in a third down back, a, a backup to to Joe Mixon. But I, if he's there in the fourth, absolutely, I think he's the pick. But I, I can't see him stick until the fourth. I think those running backs are going to go on a little bit of a run earlier than people think. Let's things that uh, no one in the Bengals building says. Let's not forget Mark Walton, okay? And let's uh, not yes. forget. <laughs> let's not forget the fourth round running back to be the backup of the future and the change of pace guy has happened before right in this spot. And and they were doing it to try to kind of move on maybe from geo at that point. It did not work out. Now they have to. So certainly if you saw a guy like Carter sitting there, man, I, I agree with you, Jay. I think they would be too tempted. It depends on what the rest of the board would look like, but man, that would really make a ton of sense if he was actually there. You're right. I, I don't see that, but you never know. We don't, we don't know how these things are going to fall. Um, but it's an interesting question. I, they're going to be looking running back on day three. That's all I know. And they may have higher grades on different guys or whatever. I have a hard time imagining them having many people above Michael Carter for the spot of what they're looking for. Um, here's another one here. This comes from – there's kind of three people asking some version of the same question. From David Bell and Mike Mummer and – they said, say Atlanta takes Chase. We talked about that at the top. Do the Bengals take Sewell for sure? Is it then more likely they trade back? Kyle Smith says, what are the odds? This is the biggest only smokescreen in Bengals history, and Panay is the pick. I'll say this. I absolutely think Panay could be the pick. I, I don't. I mean, look, we, we claim that we th- – we we think we have an idea of of what their ranking is, right? Like, and you can talk to as many people as you want. I don't care the most intrepid porter, reporters in the world outside of the ones covering the Jaguars right now don't know for sure. I always love the story. It was the Jaguars. It was Dave Caldwell when he was with the Jags, and the year he was picking the quarterback, and he picked Blake Bortles, <laughs> but he he picked Blake Bortles and didn't tell anyone, not his family. Not not, not the, anybody else in the building. He had his own little personal board and decision made. Maybe maybe there was like two other people that were part of the core group that they talked through it to come to the final decision of what it ended up being. Because I'm not telling anybody. I don't want anybody to know because I don't want anybody to jump in front of me and trying to take the guy that I love and that I think is the guy for me. Uh, Dave Caldwell, no longer the GM of the... Jacksonville Jaguars. However, however, the strategy, I mean, that's the the thing is not any real, I mean, the Bengals answer to Sewell versus Chase. We may have an idea and, and we, we are reading everything that we know from conversations, from actions. We've talked a ton about this. Everything that they did and did not do in free agency, the talk about the depth of the office, all those things we're reading into what they're saying. The idea that anybody really knows where the name Panay Sewell and the name Jamar Chase and even the name Kyle Pitts sit in order amongst those three, for them, you don't unless you've seen the board. You just don't know for sure. So, yes, Sewell could be the pick. He's a dude. He's a real guy at a position they need. There's a reason that he, I mean, he he absolutely 
can be the pick. Absolutely, even if Chase is available. I, I don't. This is not set in stone. This is, I think. I mean, I we're trying to figure it out. I'm saying I I think it's going to be Chase. Soul is the real deal, and they. I mean, they, that's a guy that they would be thrilled to walk into the building. Yeah, and anytime you're talking smokescreen, you you gotta the the why is as important as the what is in what they're going to do. It just I don't know what the the Bengals would have to gain by by issuing a smokescreen because of the way we expect it to play out. I mean, maybe there's there's that much paranoia, but I I don't I don't see it being this elaborate ruse um, or misdirection. C- could it be? And has it been in the past? Yeah, that you, you do see that from time to time, or a lot of time, most times with teams where they they try to put teams off the scent, but. It just it doesn't feel like it here. It, it and you, yes, it it could be Sewell, but I'm still. If I was betting, uh, I would put a sizable amount down on Chase. And then if 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 we talked like we talked about the Falcons go Chase, then yeah, it's it's Sewell. Um, I don't think at that point if if one of those top three are gone by the time they pick, I think that that really incre- increases the risk level of a trade back because then there's a good chance you may not get either of the other two. So um, I, I would think more than anything else that a seeing chase or if it is Sewell going at four, then you you know the Bengals are going to go the other way. Maybe Pitts is in play, but it, it, it kind of wipes out that chance of a trade back. Yeah, that's looking less and less likely, isn't it? I mean, yeah. as we kind of really start to parse through this, especially when you start getting Atlanta involved, if they were to take one of those guys. I think, you know, look, if Atlanta takes Chase, the Bengals should take Sewell. I mean, it's it's pretty easy. Like, there's a reason that's a tough decision. Um, and, I th- and I think that would be what would happen. So, and vice versa. You know, if Atlanta took Sewell, I think they would take Chase. And if they took neither, that's the fun part of the decision where we get to find out how they really stood on it. Um but either way, you know, it still feels like you're going to walk out of this draft. If Bengals fans can have something to make them feel warm and happy and get a nice warm hug on a Monday morning, it's that you're going to walk out of this first round with Chase or one of Chase or Soul. Like, it feels like you're definitely going to. And yeah. that is a very good feeling to have because those are very desire, two desirable paths to go down in this draft. Uh, okay. This we talked about this earlier. I'll mention I'll mention the question because I love uh, mentioning Greg Luther asking questions because he is one of our most ardent followers and always interacting. Greg asked about how likely it is that Alex Leatherwood will be there in the second round when the Bengals pick at thirty eight. We got to that earlier, uh, so we, we talked through that a little bit. I mean, look, do you got a coin? Yep, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know what to do with it. Um, from let's see, oh our guy, I love I love I guy Mon. Abul son, I've tried, I've, I've, I've butchered this name so many times, and I apologize. Uh, any chance the Bengals drop back and get uh, Elijah Vera Tucker from USC, getting an extra second rounder would check another box for this team. Uh, I mean, sure, um, you could say that, and and I think that there's a great strategy for that. And we went through the trade path. I just. You know, Duke has been pretty adamant now on, on multiple different spots, whether it was with Bengals.com or with us on the Zoom. Times you, you hear from over the course of this offseason, they don't want to take themselves out of this, the range of getting a premier player. 
And when you know you could get Chase or Sewell or Pitts or, you know, if they have a, maybe they have another guy that they view as a premier player, another two. He wouldn't give us the exact line of demarcation when we talked to him the other day. Uh, but it's not many. And I don't think Vera Tucker is part of that equation. You're now drafting a guy who projects to an elite guard, and that's great. But um, I don't see that happening. I mean, you adding a second rounder would be great. I just, I just don't see that happening, though. Yeah, where where is Vera Tucker on the 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 um, big board, the three hundred big board composite? I mean, I, I think he's in that mid teen range. So even if you're trading back five, six spots, it's still a bit of a reach for him. You're right. I think he's going to be a really good guard in the league, but he's he's not that elite level as as the the top three. And it would for where the Bengals would likely trade back to, it would still be a reach to go for him there. The only thing is, you know, you say getting an extra second rounder here in this. Now, are we talking a future first too? Right. The Hall can change things. And the Bengals can afford to do that because they, if they don't really, it's the you know, they suck at trading. I say this every single time we talk about trading. So they're, they're they are they because they ask for a lot. They're going to ask mm-hmm. for a lot. They're going to ask for more. Here's the thing: they should here because in order to take yourself off of a premier player and move back into a draft like this, uh, that will cost a lot. It should cost a lot. So I'd be talking a two and a future one. I might even want some more change on that if I'm going all the way back to whatever, wherever we're talking about, 12, 14, 15, and having to now bet on somebody like Vera Tucker even being there or uh, Christian Dersaw or whatever, maybe hoping Slater falls or you're talking. You're you're in a real uncomfortable spot back there and the actual, when it comes to the actual pick. So you better be getting something else that you really like cut to come along with that. That's all. Yeah, if you're dealing with a team with the GM on the hot seat, uh, yeah, by all means, ask for a ask for a future number one because they're they're more likely to give it to you, knowing that hey, if this doesn't work out, I'm not going to be around anyhow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that that that's always in play. The that that extra pick down the road. But you're right that that they they do over ask and. When it worked out in the Carson Palmer, they waited that out and they got a great deal for Carson Palmer. But uh, typically, that that is not the case. That the Bengals ask for too much and then the the deal falls apart and they go on and make the pick they were going to make. Yeah, the phone will ring. I I just you know Duke has been pretty clear, and I don't think you know I don't think he was faking it. He no. doesn't want it. To, he wants to get at one of the top players in this draft, and they need top players in this draft. So the idea of getting cute and screwing around with that, um, I think, is the wrong play, and I don't think it's one that they plan on making. Just because, look, I want there's a lot of good players that fit you perfectly sitting right there. So you're going to trade that for some future capital down the line for a, a you know an extra two or an extra what? I mean, it better be a lot. And that the the hall better have a convincing case if you're actually talking about going that far where you're talking about a guy like ABT. Um, Joe, what do you got next, Jay? Um, I, I don't know if I'm saying his name. Anish okay. uh, wanted to know about Sheldon Richardson, um, about yeah. whether the Bengals would have any interest in him, and I, I would think absolutely. It, it's a, it's such a it's such a uh, 
weak defensive tackle class, maybe the probably the worst position class this year. Um, I don't think anything's going to happen this week, whether it's the Bengals or anybody else. Everybody's going to draft first, and then these free agents. that there's, Sheldon Richards is not the only one. There's a lot of quality guys out there that are kind of getting squeezed by the lower cap, and it's going to be interesting to see how that – I don't even know what you would call that. Be the fourth wave, the fifth wave of free agency. What wave are we on? <laughs> <laughs> but there's there's going to be a lot of movement um, in May and in June and certainly in July, right before camp starts, when their guys are going to want to get into camp and, and start learning the, the scheme wherever they go. Um, I, I would think Richard Sheldon Richardson would be in play for a Bengals defense that desperately needs another three technique. Sheldon Richardson, Jarrell Casey is one that I've kind of yeah. had highlighted since the beginning. That I thought that could be a good rotational guy for them, especially you already have Ogan Joby in place. So you're not going to be asking Casey to come in and be the guy, um, but he can't. You know, he he's still got enough left in the tank to give you plenty. Um, guys like that, yeah. There's there's enough. I mean, Gino is still out there too. I mean, there's yeah. there's a bunch of these guys that are sitting out there. So uh, they have not closed the door on Gino Atkins totally. Um, I I don't see it, but you know, you never know. Uh, so those those options are all sitting out there on the table. Yeah, I, I would expect them to be involved because it, it was one thing that kind of came in going through the mock draft with the consensus big board. Whew, it's just it's tough to find one. It's it's tough to mm-hmm. think that they'll be able to get uh, an interior defensive lineman that they really like. This feels like the year to uh, put a Band-Aid on it <laughs> and then come back next year and see if you can have a little bit better you know, path for, for fixing that spot because just not a good year to do that. Um, another one, this one from Jake. Uh, do you think the Bengals would consider trading up a few spots in the second round if their guy is still available? And what would it cost to move a few spots up? What do you think, Jay? I... I don't see it. I don't know. I, I guess you have to wait and see what what is available when when day one is over. But the the, the Bengals just typically are not a trade up team. They they value their capital too much. Um, it, I, I don't know what it would even if you're going to move up in the second round uh, four or five spots. What's it, it's going to cost you? About a, probably a fourth, fifth, fifth or fifth, a fourth. Yeah. Fifth, I mean, yeah, I mean, it depends on how far up you're trying to go. If you're sitting at 38, you know, the old chart I have in front of me here, you look at the old Jimmy Johnson chart and there's not, now we're debating if we should even be using these charts or what mm-hmm. chart should we use. And let's just go by this just to be general broad brush this. Okay. Um, you're sitting at 38. That's 520 points to get up to 33. To get to get to the Jacksonville pick at 33. Not that they would do that, but you're talking about 60. That you're probably having to give up your fourth round pick to get all just to get up to that spot. I, I, they're not going to give up a fourth round pick. No, right? I mean, no, maybe, I don't think they give up a fifth. Maybe, but yeah, maybe they could give up a fifth or do some sort of pick swap. Or something like that to get up a few spots, but it's you're right, Jay. It's just out of their nature. Yeah, and and who who really? I mean, I'm I'm trying to think who would even be there that would attempt them because you you would figure it would probably be an offensive lineman if they had one above all the rest. But it is such a deep class, and if if there's if there's only one 
offensive lineman left that they like at that point, then I, I think it's more likely they trade back and, and get an extra third or fourth and then try to double up later in the draft with some, some mid round guys. I just, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like that would be a play at all, but you, that's the thing with these early second round picks. You've got all day Friday to, to field calls and start feeling out other teams and, you know, maybe if there's a guy they are really, really high on that slips, they think about it. But I, I would put it in the ninety to ninety-five percent range that that no, they're not trading up. If there is, they're not the only team that sees yeah. it that way, and I, I don't see them outbidding anybody. If that is the case, it, anything could happen. But let me let me tell you a story that you probably already know, and one that Jay Gruden kind of alluded to when he was on with uh, Robert Mays last week on the Athletic NFL podcast. The Bengals sat and sweated Andy Dalton in 2011. <laughs> like they need, could not have needed a quarterback more. They had to have it. Carson's not coming back. They drafted A.J. Green. They loved Andy Dalton. And as the first round wrapped, and they knew that he was going to be that first, second round type of guy, they didn't trade up. Jay, I mean, Jay's... Jay has talked many times about the the, the insane sweat, the hard beads <laughs> that were coming down him during that second round because he knew that Dalton could be the guy that could win games for them, and he lo- they loved what Dalton could be for them, and they had to sit there and and Mike and they they weren't going to move up, just they weren't going to do it, and he did slide to them and it worked out, but you think that. An offensive lineman, and when there could be a bunch of them that they could get to down the line, is going to cause them to change from this philosophy in a year where they only have, you know, they have an extra sixth and that's it. That seems highly unlikely. It can happen for the right person. Certainly, there are scenarios, but that seems highly unlikely. Very, very slim chance. Yeah, the other thing, uh, to remember that with what Jay said on that podcast, the that year the Bengals had the third pick in the second round, and the Patriots had the first, and they had Tom Brady, and that's they, I think they were safe there, thinking they weren't going to take a quarterback. But the other thing is Jay mentioned that the, how high they were on Colin Kaepernick, and, and Kaepernick went one pick after Andy Dalton, so that was a little bit of a different. Yes, they Andy was their guy, and they were sweating it out, but they had a nice little fallback there. Where if it wasn't Andy Dalton, it was going to be Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, I'd heard Jay tell some version of that story a couple of times, but that one he points out something he'd said before, which was they were really nervous about Seattle. They yeah. thought Seattle was going to be taking a quarterback, and they didn't. Um, but they—that's who they thought they had to get in front of, and that's where the biggest sweat came from was the end of the first round of Seattle. But that's enough going back to uh, <laughs> Andy Dalton. Um, Let's go to here's another question here. Let's see. Let me open this one up. We talked about that. All right. From Matt Elliott, since Riley Reef is on a one year deal, do the Bengals prefer someone who can play guard for a year and then swing outside after this year? Or are they simply going bola? Forget YOLO, going bola. <laughs> Best offensive lineman available when they do pick one. I think if we're when we're talking about the second and third round guys, you're going you're going bola. You're you're really they're there because 
they can be a really good guard, but they have limitations for tackle. The league loves tackles. It's you know they're tackle. The league is tackle happy, right? Like they they love tackles. They want tackles. So your value is guys that come in and then maybe they can't play tackle, but they could be a really good guard, especially when you're talking the second and third round pick. So I I, I think you kind of have to be willing to put up with that. And that's the limitation there when you're talking about the second and third round. So um, to me, the idea of them playing tackle in the future is a nice thing if possible. They could get to the league and prove a technician and be thrown into it in camp or in preseason or maybe even in a game and take to it well and it turns out well, Andrew Whitworth, whatever type scenario. Um, But I don't think – you know, I think the reason that you're getting somebody who's coming in and playing well for you right away is because they're not built to be a tackle. They may be born built to be a guard. And that's that was the exact case in the beat writer mock when I ended up taking Jalen Mayfield from Michigan. I mean, he played tackle at Michigan, but everybody's got him projected as a guard in the league. And if they did draft him, he yeah, he probably starts for him this year. And who knows? Maybe maybe he could kick out and play play tackle but even even the the top tackles the Sewell and, and Slater people see them as they they could start at guard for the Bengals if the Bengals were to go that way and and then slide out to tackle when when Riley Reef moves on I just I, if you can get position versatility you always want it but I don't I don't think they're gonna be locked into that I like you said it, it once you get second third round it's gonna be best lineman available yep um so I want to drop in a little teaser nugget for a story I'm writing on offensive line range uh, for my story this week. So I, I really – I went you know, in the offensive line draft strategy, I went in and used the PFF grades with the four tiers of either elite, above average, below average, or liability and placed every player's season. I, in that particular draft strategy, I was talking about rookies and rookie seasons and, and really you know, what percentage chance of someone being a liability that you draft um, is for that rookie year. Well, I kind of was like, you know what? I got some time. <laughs> I want to do a real deep dive. So I went back over the every offensive line picked in the ranges the Bengals might take them over the last 10 years and they're all their seasons, Okay. Jay, you'd have been proud of me. <laughs> there were multiple spreadsheets on oh, three man. different screens trying to do it all. A, a really, really, really interesting find came out of this. What if I told you the range of picks 60 to 70, so bottom of the second, top of the third, where the Bengals would be picking there at 69, right in that range, what if I told you the percentage chance of hitting was the same there as it is in the top 10 over the last 10 years? I'd be pretty stunned. I, I shouldn't be because you see this all the time. The, the the top offensive lineman taken doesn't always end up being the best guy. But that's that's surprising that it would be that far back. The, the likelihood is as good as top 10. Um, I'm trying to even right now go through my head who some of those guys. I will. I have them okay. all for you. I'll talk all through right. it. So here's the numbers. I went through and looked at how many had at least one above average season. So, I mean, it's about not did you play. Did you play well enough in the top 50% of offensive linemen for that year? Okay. And 
12 of the 15 player offensive linemen picked between picks 60 and 70. 12 of the 15 had at least one above average season. Nine of the 15 had multiple above average seasons. That includes a crap load of elite seasons. More elite seasons than above average seasons, okay? That's the 60 to 70 range. <laughs> the top 10 above average seasons, also 15 players picked in the top 10 over the last decade. 12 of 15 had an above average season. 10 of 15 had multiple above average seasons with less elite seasons. Now, because we're mostly talking about tackles in the top 10, and we're mostly talking about guys with positional flexibility that found their home in the third round. And there's plenty of guys in the second round where some hit, some didn't. But you kind of, it seems like you get into these guys that, whether they're more technicians, whether they're more inside players and they were able to be successful at that position, here's the names. Uh, Kelechi Osemele for the Ravens, four elite seasons. Ali Marpet for the Bucks, four elite seasons. Brian O'Neill for the Vikings had a below average and above average and elite getting better each year. He has gotten better each year for the Vikings. Deion Dawkins who the Bills loved so much they traded Cordy Glenn uh, and has been great for them with two elite seasons. Marcus Gilbert for the Steelers. Bengals fans are familiar with how solid he's been. Taylor Moten for the Panthers. Bengals fans very familiar how good he's been. Justin Britt for the Seahawks had one elite season. He's kind of been so-so. Brandon Parker for the Raiders was a whiff. He did not quite do it. Did not work out for him. Larry Warford, Saints. Bengals fans have been trying to get him here. Uh, a guy named Max Torque for the Chargers who never even played. He must have gotten hurt before anything even got started. Another guy who got cut in for the Titans. Then Morgan Moses, who's been solid for Washington with an elite season. And you get into uh, Damian Lewis, who was a great pick from LSU, was the, arguably the, one of the best rookie picks last year for the Seahawks last year. He played at above average level for his first season. Uh, A.J. Can for the Jaguars. Also two above average seasons, but all that's it. That's the list. They're hits. There's a lot of guards in there. There's some guards that have moved out to tackle. But there's their hits. They've come in. They've played well. They've played well fairly early. They've done it consistently. That's like that honey hole is there. And you would hope for the Bengals in a year where the line depth is maybe even an outlier, as Dan Brugler said, or deeper than normal. Maybe they're not quite as up against the back end of that cliff because it is a cliff at 70. Hmm. There ain't much after that. It fall, There is a lot of fail. There's like 15 in a row without even a single above-average season after that. You get down into just a few here and there, smattering of success stories. That seems like that's the cliff. And so the hope, I think, for them would be, hey, maybe – in the year where it goes, they can be more not on the cliff totally, not one foot over the side, but maybe be able to actually hit with an interior lineman in that spot. Wasn't Orlando Brown? Uh, he was he was after seventy. I thought he was the third rounder, wasn't he? He he was Late third. Yeah, so, he was later. He was further back. He was just outside of of the ranges that I looked at. I looked all the way back to yeah. eighty. He was like eighty three or eighty four. I went sixty okay. to eighty um, to get into the middle of that Bengals third round pick range, and he was just outside of that. Yeah, they passed on him, 
and took uh, Malik Jefferson. Oh yes. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's just one of the very, like you said, it's it's a cliff. It falls off after that. That's one of the few success stories. You could probably cherry pick one or two over the last decade, but that is that is interesting that that you can hit that well in, in that sixty to seventy range. I don't know if that affects a, a Bengals trade back in the third round. Uh, we always talk about the second round trade back, but there's. There's going to be guys there that – then we talked about it earlier. Do they go O-line and then edge rusher or edge rusher, then O-line? And if uh, if you pass your spreadsheet on to Duke, maybe they will go O-line in the third round. That's well, the- I don't need to pass it on to him. It will be published. <laughs> I'll just send him a link. Okay. okay. Uh, but, I mean, yeah. You know, you're, I mean, you're right. Uh, I mean, I go back to – and we make fun of the Malik Jefferson pick. But the reason that was the year they moved up from the back of the fourth because they felt like it put them into a, you know, in front of the cliff, up moving up from about a hundred to seventy-seven that year because they saw a cliff coming in the eighty range. Now, year to year, that changes. It can be less. It can be more. That's when we talk about good drafts, right? Like, is this a good draft? Are there a hundred good players? Are there seventy good players? Are there fifty? Um, you know, I think you're it. That's kind of where some of this comes into play. But the point I think that I'm trying to get to with all of this is that don't necessarily even freak out if you end up with that third round guy is the one that comes in. Yeah, because that you you could be doing very well there, and in fact, history would suggest you have a better chance there than you even do with the second round guys. Because you know what the second round ends up being a lot of guys with traits to be tackles that get here and they are the same player they were in college. Maybe just not very good <laughs> but because they didn't develop or whatever, but they, they looked like a tackle. But if they, they didn't play like one, you know, oh, I can teach them, right? But then you get to the guys later down and it's they don't have the traits, but they play well. You know, I, there's, a, there's a difference. Hey, maybe we should just be maybe just going by how they play and that it works. And there's a good chance that those smaller school guys are interesting, the Spencer Browns and the Dylan Raddins, they, they can be sitting there in that third round too, where, like you said, they, they played well. It was against lesser competition, uh, smaller schools. But um, I think both of those guys are interesting prospects for the Bengals if, if that's where they go for their, their second lineman. All right, let's just take a quick break. This one from... I'm going to guess your name's Sean Walls. Sean not heard at Walls, Sean. I'm going to call you Sean Walls. <laughs> uh, what are some of your favorite or least favorite things about the draft? I imagine some of the backstories that you can learn about the players drafted, post-draft, can make for fun stories to write about. I'll let you kick that one off, Jay. Uh, one of my favorite things just started last year with the the virtual draft is watching all the different house parties that guys were having. And, and really that's not totally new because not every guy goes to New York, but it, it was just, it was really interesting to see what kind of parties people were having and what, what, what moment was going to go viral, whether it's a, a girlfriend ripping a phone away from a guy or there's just a bunch of different things. Um, I do <laughs> Tack McKinley. Yes. Walking on stage with this. a picture of his grandma, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the reactions with the, the guys just seeing, 
seeing their reaction to being drafted there, these guys are so stoic and try to play it so cool. Um, you know, even at their combine draft interviews, they, it, it, everything seems rehearsed and then they finally get picked and it's like they, they become real and, and the, the emotion spills out. And, um, I, I do enjoy watching that, um, that part of it, which we didn't get to see last year with, with Roger in his basement, but he'll, he'll be back on stage this year. The, the bro hugs, the fist bumps, the lifts, all that'll be back this year. Um, as far as what, what you mentioned, some of the other stuff that I do enjoy that kind of learning the backstory of some of these guys. And that's one of the great things about Dane Brugler's the beast is, is it kind of, it doesn't just give you a guy's strength and weaknesses. It gives you kind of the path that he took from high school. What, what star recruit he was coming out of high school, any kind of interesting nuggets about relatives or other hobbies. It's just kind of, kind of fun to dig into who these guys are as, as people and not just players. Yeah, I would. I agree with all those things. And and when we, what I I enjoyed there, I this is my favorite and my least favorite things about the draft was the insane amount of hours we would put in down at the stadium <laughs> over the course of three days was my least favorite thing and my favorite thing because it's one of those things where you you know misery loves company uh, so to speak. We the draft is fun. It's fun to watch, but it's long and it's a ton of work for us. We it's a labor of love. I enjoy it. I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. Uh, but you spend a lot of we would spend a lot of time together all down there in the media room, all of us. Uh, and, and you basically are kind of it's like a slumber party. It's like yeah. it's like a it's like a weekend getaway or is it a retreat? Is there a ropes course? Are there trust falls? <laughs> but it feels like that because you're there together for three long days. They cater some meals for us. It's very nice of them. It's the one time we get fed down there. It's very nice. And but we all hang out and it's we we laugh and have fun and we go out for drinks afterwards. And you know it. It's one of the things that has been taken away from us in the virtual era. And I hated about last year was all the things that I loved about the draft, which was well at least we got to do it around with each other with friends, people we like on the beat, and. And last year we didn't have any of that. All we had was the hard work, <laughs> and my and my you know my office. That's it. And so, I I enjoy the weekend for just diving fully into it and trying to write the best stuff that you can. There's a million interesting stories. You're all down there, but we just we just laugh hysterically. It's I've always enjoyed this beat. It's why I've loved and never wanted to leave it. Um, I I mean I'm from here. I love Cincinnati. I would never move. Um. But the Bengals beat is so accessible. It's so light. And that's a tone set by the PR staff and by the team in a lot of ways that cares about the local media. And it just makes for a very fun place to to work, you know. And so and the draft weekend is the epitome of that because we're all stuck there together for three days. So for when I when people ask me what I, what my favorite thing is, it's 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 usually that. Unfortunately, we'll be virtual again this year, but our mm. drinks afterwards will not be. So that's the important thing. At least we got that. Yeah, the what you talked about the casual atmosphere is important. The, the, it is the one time that they let us into the Bengals dining room um to to eat in in the team facility and it's it's not like they they have separate windows where the the coaches in the front office were i mean we're at one table and then mike and katie and troy are at the next table and then the coaching staff is at a, a table on the other side it's like it's just a really informal 
it, it's it's one of the few times. I mean, I guess you kind of see it at the Senior Bowl, but it's one of the times that you you see the coaches, and it's it's just it's it's lighter and it's friendlier, and it's not. You would think that they would be tense because the draft is so important to success, but at that point, they're like us with all the hard work is behind, and it's time to just kind of let it play out and enjoy it. Yeah, and you we get a glimpse of you know how life used to be if you covered the NFL, where you, yeah. ev- the the room was open and everybody oh there's coaches every day you would be in there now not before my time certainly but it wasn't that long ago um where the nfl was not quite as buttoned up as it is now uh and it was a little bit more casual back in the days of definitely in the days of paul brown where the intermixing mm-hmm. was uh was much more uh often all right let's go into another question this one from scott thurnow Run, pass, or boot the following Athens bars, Jay. The CI, the pub, and cat's eye. I I mean, I could do another hour on this, but we will not for the sake of people who don't know that (laughs) OU is the greatest place on earth. Um, Go ahead, run, pass, or boot these. I love the pub. I love beer cheese soup. I I was there a couple weeks ago for my son's 21st birthday, and they only sell beer cheese soup two days a week. Sunday's one of them. So I got some there, and then I got three three containers to go to come home and have for lunch each day. It's a little different now with with COVID. You can't – it's you sit in the booths. There's no mingling around. So the whole atmosphere of these bars is – is a lot different. I'm going to say CI is my run. I just, I love that bar. It's the one we hung out. So much of this is not the bar itself. It's the, the people that you hang out with and that's, that's what makes them fun. And so that changes year to year and class to class, generation to generation. But the CI is almost like three different bars. There's the first part when you first come in, sitting on the ledge, sit at the bar. Then there's the back area with the tables and there's the basement with the pool table. Um, it's just, I just I really love the CI. Go back every year and at least get one drink. Just if even if it's the middle of the afternoon and we're shopping, pop in there and get a quick beer. Um, I'll, I'll pass on the pub. I'm gonna boot the Cats. I love the Cats. I Cats. I was like one of my bars freshman year, but it's also the only bar I've ever been thrown out of. So <laughs> I'm booting the Cats. I. Uh, what I enjoy about the CI is that you definitely are can in non COVID era you can never get anywhere. No. Like it is impossible to move ever in that place, even when it's not crowded. And so it, that's one of the best parts about it. When you were like in college, like and you want to go to the most crowded place, but it is impossible to get anywhere in there. It's like you, you need to take out a half hour of your life to try to move from the front door to the pool tables. Forget it. And hanging out by the pool tables. Are you crazy? Uh, Playing pool. Well, eventually, eventually the pool games stop and everyone just starts sitting on the pool tables. Uh, <laughs> So I, I am going to um, I'm going to boot the pub. I don't I, I'm not necessarily a huge pub fan. It just never was there for me. Cat's Eye, I spent a lot of time at um, and enjoy, but I I'll say CI first. I think there's a there's a little bit more of a it's just more unique. The fact that Poppers is not on here for me is really the problem because prime time from eight to nine, half off everything. When you're a broke college kid, is the greatest thing in the world. And we spent a lot of time in there with our strategy of, look, just do everything you need to do for the night between 8 and 9, and then just live it up. Just ride. Just coast <laughs> the rest of the night. And that was problematic. It was, it, you know, in college, it sounded fun, but it was really a problematic strategy. 
<laughs> you shouldn't do everything you want to do in a one hour period. Okay? No, that's all. I'm, that's that's all I'm saying. Uh, all right, let's move on. A couple more fun ones. Um, has anyone ever won a Bengals Growler contest? Yes. Yes. In fact, and I want them to know that I have them on my list. We're going to get through this draft. The, the the rewards are coming. We're going to do a – it's going to be a whole event, I promise. So if you're listening and you've won a growler, I know your name. I have you You're on a list. I have everything. We're, we're going to get there. I promise. We're going to – I want to have a thing. So uh, people have won. The rewards are coming, and we're very excited about all of that. Uh, <laughs> this one from Tyler Stenton. How hard was it to record that manscaped.com ad? I can feel the laughter in your voice every time it comes on. Jay, did, did I have a hard time with that one? I yeah, I think three or four hard times. And then yeah, I, think I, I think I needed a couple. Of, there's, there's, there's an outtakes tape somewhere. It's just hard. I, I, I made the mistake of not reading it ahead. I really should have yeah. should have read it ahead of time. I'll admit that just to be prepared. They don't hold back. Those ads, they, they want to be very clear of what they're about and what they're trying to sell. So uh, if, you're listen, if you listen on The Athletic, you're not aware, um, you can go listen on iTunes or something. It's on, it's on all of them. Uh, all right, Jay, this one's for you from C. Josh. If Bengals uniforms are an Arby's meal, which meal would they be? Um, I guess they would be – I don't – I don't even know if they have value meals at Arby's. I would I would say it's two regular roast beef sandwiches and an order of potato cakes. It's it's just it's not flashy. It's 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 consistent. It's it's uh, sleek's not the right word for any fast food, but it's it it's not like gooped with that weird cheese on the bake the beef and cheddar. It's just a quality roast beef sandwich, and the potato cakes are kind of like they're signature items of Arby's, I guess you would say. Not a lot of other fast food places say that. So they, that's kind of like the stripes uh, where it's instantly recognizable. Um, I, I, I guess that's the way to go. I, I don't know. I don't know if they were really bad, what I would compare them to. Cause I don't know if there's a bad meal at Arby's, but they're, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they are uh, efficient and Im- and good and solid and kind of what you want, not nothing over the top. I mean, the curly fries aren't involved. I just never been a curly fry fan. I, I always thought the curly fries were kind of the signature. Like to, to me, the too. curly fries would be like the helmet, right? The helmet stays the same, so you get the curly fries, right? Like it's the yeah. one thing. The rest, I mean, I I can't speak as much as intelligently as you can <laughs> but i mean i think i would think you know basically just like drinking some of the cheese would be a bad would be the bad version right if they were bad yeah yeah so a beef and cheddar you can't you can't have the cheddar on there no it would be the bad version would be a meat mountain slathered in <laughs> beef and cheddar cheese <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right uh, I want to thank everybody for your questions. We'll get to some more questions. Um, I'm gonna have FAQs up. We'll have a, with some of your questions coming this week. Jay's got his 2006 story, the trade back story. I'm gonna have a little bit more of a dive into some of the offensive line stuff that I talked about there. Then uh, during the draft, of course, we're gonna have our post game drafts after each 
round each night. So uh, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, we'll record for you. So you'll wake up to them the next morning. Uh, us kind of diving into some of the analysis of how each day of the draft went for the Bengals and many, many, many other things. And a lot of fun stuff coming your way as the draft concludes with fallout into next week. I want to thank everybody uh, that has read, followed, listened uh, throughout this draft lead up and free agency and everything else. We've had a lot of fun previewing it and talking about it and going down all the paths. And I hope everyone uh, during the draft, during the picks being made, can have some drinks for Jay and I. And then we'll try to make up for lost time when it wraps uh, with the best drink of the year on Saturday night. And um, but enjoy it. And I hope every I want to thank everybody that has interacted with us through the time. It's what that's kind of what's made it fun, you know, Jay. I mean, it seems like it's the way that you guys all have embraced it and had fun with it. This whole off season has really made it enjoyable for us to talk through it all the time. Yeah, the 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 team Chase first team Sewell thing didn't get out of hand. It didn't get contentious. I think I think a lot of people had fun with it. Um, that that does make it fun when when you guys interact with us and when you interact with each other civilly um, makes <laughs> makes our feeds much more um, tolerable to go through. And let's remind each other of that as we go through draft weekend. Yeah, civility is important. <laughs> let's not overreact. Uh, it's fun. It's sports. Let's try to enjoy it uh, and keep some civility, even if they didn't take your guy. So, uh, all right. Well, thanks, everybody, uh, for listening to the podcast. We will talk to you next with the results to the question of the offseason, Chase versus Sewell, in our hands. So we will talk to you on Thursday night. Have a good one, everybody.